Thank you, Brother Terry. Thank you, choir, praise team. Thank all of you for taking part in worship this morning. It's good that we can come together to worship. If you brought your Bibles, we're going to be looking in the Old Testament primarily at Joel. Joel, one of the minor prophets, pretty close to the New Testament. If you'll start the New Testament and go back to, through the Old, you'll see the minor prophets there. and You'll see Hosea, you'll see Joel, and uh, minor prophets, about three chapters. And we're going to be looking at Joel chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And this morning I want to share a sermon that I've entitled... Uh, I've not gone too far to return. I haven't gone too far to return. Joel chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And we'll read some other selected scripture also. I've got a lot to say this morning. I may be talking a little fast. You'll have to listen a little quick. But I've got a lot to get in in the time that I have. Joel chapter 1. If you would, if you're able, please stand out of reverence and respect as we read from the inerrant, infallible, Word of God, Joel chapter 1, verse 1, words are on the screen. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Puthel. Hear this, you elders, and give ear, all you inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days, or even in the days of your fathers? Tell your children about it. Let your children tell their children, and their children another generation, what the chewing locust left and the swarming locust has eaten, what the swarming locust left, the crawling locust has eaten, and what the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for an opportunity we have now to worship you. Lord, we've been able to sing songs and hymns, praise hymns, Thank you, Lord, for an opportunity to just worship you. And now I pray, Lord, as you speak to our hearts. Father, I pray you'll give me the words to say, the right spirit to say them in. Lord, I'll pray that your Holy Spirit will be our teacher and our guide. And Father, at the appropriate time, as the invitation is given, if there's anyone here this morning who's never trusted Christ as Lord and Savior of their life, I pray that they would come to receive him today. Other decisions that will be made, I pray you'll speak to our hearts and we will faithfully stand up for you and make those decisions today. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. I haven't gone too far to return. There's a lie that many people have come to believe. It's too late for me. I've lived like this too long. I've been this way too long. I've done this far too long. I can't change. I won't change. It can't turn around. So the question is, do you think this morning that you're too far gone to come back to God or to come to God? Someone said this, I liked it. It said, if you're not dead... God's not done. Now, a little background on the book of Joel. Joel, J-O hyphen E-L, Joel, L is a word for God. Uh, the Hebrew word is spelled Y-O for Yahweh hyphen E-L, 
meaning Yahweh is God. This is a, a minor prophet. It doesn't mean that uh, it's minor in, in importance, but it's minor in length. There's only three chapters to this little book. And this book was written around 800 years before Christ. And the occasion for writing this book was a locust plague. Locusts are large grasshoppers, and they can consume large numbers of acres in just a short period of time. They can eat more than their weight every single day. In 1874, there were 120 billion locusts that cut a path over 100 miles wide across the Great Plains. And something happened like this in 2015 in Russia. Locusts attacked Russia. So the point is this. Locusts still happens today. And so the point is God sent this locust plague to a land of Israel, to the land of Israel, to his people, to judge them for their complacency. So this black cloud of locusts descended upon the land of Israel, and in the matter of hours, everything was stripped bare. And so I just read verses 1 through 4, chapter 1. And this was God's judgment upon his people for their complacency. They'd had God's goodness, they had had God's kindness, they had received God's blessings, they had, they, but they had grown complacent or they were indifferent to the kindness that God had shown to them. Therefore, God said, I'm not going to let my people live with cold hearts toward me, so go locusts to Israel. And they went. Now, he was cre in doing that, he was creating a desperation for them in order for them to return to him. Now, remember that. Creating a desperation for them in order that they might return to him. And so as we analyze this text this morning, we want to see some patterns that were in their lives that can be repeated in our lives. So there's a warning to them, and they did not accept that warning, and God sent the locusts. And there's a warning to us as we see the patterns that took place in their lives, how those patterns can be reflected in our lives. So first of all, if you're taking notes, point number one, there is a way downward to destruction. There is a way downward to destruction. And so as they looked at the devastation caused by the locusts, sent by God as a judgment to get their attention about their complacency. As they looked at that destruction caused by the locusts, they observed a drying up. They observed a drying up. Now I want you to picture a cornfield and all of the stalks have been broken down and all of a sudden the sun is just beating down on that cornfield. It's drying up. Picture a field of grain. The grain has been eaten by the locusts, and what was left there on the ground is just baking in the hot sun. It's drying up. Everything that they had counted on for their substance, for their food, all of a sudden is drying up. They couldn't run to the pig. They couldn't run to a supermarket. They had everything in their cupboard, 
put up somewhere and they'd open the door of the cupboard and it'd be full of locusts. Everything was eaten by the locusts. And now the fields were drying up. Have you ever wondered why we go on in human behavior the more likely we'll continue in that behavior. Let me give you an example. The longer that I'm selfish, the more likely I'm going to continue to be selfish. The longer that I'm sensual, I'm going to continue more likely to be sensual. The longer that I'm stubborn, the longer that I'm prideful, the longer that I'm prayerless, the longer that I'm independent, the longer that I'm self-sufficient, more than likely I'm going to continue that way. And the longer that I'm this way, the less likely I'll change. Now remember that. So first of all, the way downward is the capacity to change, the capacity to change is drying up. The longer you stay like you are, the less likely you're going to change. The source of life that brings change is leaving me the longer that I stay like I am. So the opportunity to change is drying up. Now remember, the locust plague is a metaphor for the heart. Now we're going to look at some other scriptures. Look at verse 12, chapter 1, verse 12. Verse 12 says this, The vine has dried up, the fig tree has withered, the pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, the apple tree, all these trees of the field are withered. Withered means what? They've dried up. They've all dried up. Surely, Joy has withered away from the sons of men. So the locust plague is a metaphor for the heart. The joy, the gladness has dried up. The joy, the gladness has withered away from the sons of men. So we're not talking necessarily about trees. We're talking about heart. We're not talking about grasshoppers or fields. It's about the field of my soul. Now listen, the neglect that I have allowed... My soul is drying up. The longer you neglect, the longer you continue the way you're going, your soul is drying up. So the point is, what's been drying up in your spiritual life? Does, does the worship of God still move you when you hear the song sang, sung or, or you take part in the singing? Does the reading of the, God, does the, reading of the word of God still bring an inspiration to you and a desire to be obedient to God's word? Where is your heart now? Where is the water level, so to speak, of your heart? I was watching on the news the other day, Fox News, and they had the Colorado River, and the tributaries are drying up, and they had the high water mark. And I don't know if you saw the same uh, news that I looked at, but the water level was high at one time, much higher than it is now, and they're concerned about there's not going to be any water in some of those reservoirs. Is your spiritual reservoir drying up? Are you looking for ways to serve and be used? Thumbs up. Are you looking for ways to serve? See? Are you, are you looking for ways to worship in the last 12 months? You worship more, you worship less. What about reading the word? Worship, you read more, read less. Thumbs up, more, thumbs down, less. 
What about working for the Lord? Thumbs up, thumbs down. And so the first way down to destruction is the capacity, the capacity to change dries up. Secondly, if you take a note, opportunity. The opportunity to change course begins to be devoured. That's an important word. Look at verse 19, chapter 1, verse 19. O Lord, to you I cry out, for the fire has devoured. Devoured the open pastures, and a flame has burned all the trees of the field. The beast of the field also cry out to you, for the water brooks are dried up, and the fire has devoured the open pastures. So listen, if you seize the opportunity to return to God today, you're going to change today. There's going to be a great change that takes place in your life. However, opportunities for many, perhaps, that are here today are becoming fewer and fewer and fewer. You say, why is that, Brother Sammy? Well, the point is, the longer our rebellion lasts, the harder it is to get back to God. Someone has said this, every day of rebellion is another plank kicked out of the bridge to get back to God. It's not wise to wait and wait and wait to come back to God. So today is a wonderful opportunity to come to God or for the first time or to come back to God because fire does devour opportunity. Look at chapter 2, verse 5. With a noise like chariots over the mountaintops, they leap like a noise of a flaming fire that devours the stubble, like a strong people or a strong army set in battle array. You know, that fire devours, notice what it said, devours the stubble. The farmer sees a fire in his field, and when he sees a fire in the field, he knows the seed's gone also. James MacDonald said this, he said, coming upon something that has died is different from coming upon something that is in ashes. Wow. Because the capacity, if it's in ashes, the capacity to remake something that's in ashes is devoured. So when the locust eats, uh, eats the crops, the seed that remains is enough seed there on the ground to produce perhaps crop for the next year. But when the prophet, by the Holy Spirit, speaks of the image of a devouring fire, he's talking about a day not when you couldn't get back to God, but when you won't want to get back to God. It's gone. That desire is gone. So there's a way downward to destruction. First, the capacity to change dries up. The opportunity to change course begins to be devoured. And then number three, or C, awareness for need for change is lost in darkness. Eventually, we get to the place to where we don't see what's wrong with us. It's lost in darkness. The ability to see the damage that sin is doing to us is not permanently installed in us at creation. 
So as the ability to change dries up, as the opportunity to change course is devoured, the awareness for need to change is lost in darkness. Look at chapter 2, verse 2. It says, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like the morning clouds spread over the mountains. Look down to verse 10. The earthquakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon grow dark, and the stars diminish their brightness. He's using metaphors here with creation. He's using metaphors in the creation order, drawing parallels to the human life. This is what he's saying. Joel is using darkness metaphorically to describe the people's condition, their heart, their pride, their anger, their rebellion. Everything is dark to them. They can't see it. Listen, you know you're declining in darkness when certain things happen. I'm on list and they're not in your notes or on the screen, but you can jot these down. There's about three or four I listed. You know that you're declining in darkness, so you can plot your life right now in the next couple of minutes if you're in darkness or not. First of all, you're in darkness. Step number one that you'll go through. Sin is obvious, and I'm not concerned. Sin is obvious. That's step number one, that you're in darkness and you're not concerned about that. Sin is obvious. Obvious to everyone else, but you're not concerned about that. I'm not as bad as Terry, and I'm not as bad as Martha, and I'm not as bad as Tim, and I'm not as as, um, bad as Rebecca. I'm not that bad. Sin's obvious, but I'm not concerned about it. Step number two is kind of scary. Stubbornness grows. You also stop, I'm not concerned about it, but you stop being concerned about not being concerned about. So stubbornness grows, and you're growing in darkness. Step number three, I jotted this down, seclusion. uh, Seclusion, declining in darkness. Step number three will be seclusion. Seclusion, getting alone is what the person resisting God needs the least and wants the most. I just want to be by myself. Why do they keep calling me from the church? Why do they keep sending letters? I'm not going there. I don't care to go there. I'm Just leave me to myself. That's step number three in growing in darkness. Step number four, shame, shame is absent. Jeremiah chapter, Jeremiah chapter uh, six, I believe it is. Six verse 15, just listen to God's word. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. Therefore they shall fall among those who fall. At the time I punish them, they shall be cast down, says the Lord. I I don't feel badly about my life. I know I got this and this and this going on, but but, I mean, I, I don't care. 
if you found this out about me, what do I care? There's no shame. You know, this morning you probably know someone who's, who's, who's not coming to church here or going to some other Bible-believing church somewhere else, and you know that sin is obvious and stubbornness is growing and they're desiring seclusion and they have no shame. If you know someone like that, if I know someone like that, we need to go to that person as a friend and say you need to do something about your spiritual relationship with the Lord before it's too late. Proverbs 27 says this. Now when you do that, when you go to a friend, you need to remember this. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Proverbs 27 verse 6. In other words, get ready for the backlash when you go to a friend in love to tell them out of concern, hey, the route you're going is not a good route because you're going to suffer the backlash. But we need to do that in love if we care anything about them. So first, there's a way downward to destruction. The, the capacity to change dries up. The opportunity to change course begins to be devoured. The awareness for the need to change is lost in darkness. And then fourth, there's an inclination, a leaning, a bending. I'm leaning toward it, but the inclination to change course is, is soon gone. You don't have that inclination anymore. Look at chapter 2, verse 13. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and all of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Look back up to verse 3 just a moment. I got ahead of myself. I want to look at the word desolate just a moment. A fire devours before them and behind them, chapter 2. Flame burns. The lands light the Garden of Eden before them. And behind them is a desolate wilderness. Surely nothing shall escape them. So the inclination to change course is gone. It's a desolate wilderness. Desolate means no life, no source of life. It's a desolate wilderness. You think of Mars. You know, uh, we have instruments on Mars to see if testing, to see if there's any life on Mars. And they're really wanting life on Mars. If they found any life on Mars, they'd be sure to share it. The moment they found it, breaking news, there's life on Mars. And they haven't shared anything yet. You know why? Because there's no life on Mars. That's why. And so the human soul can become just like that. It can become a desolate wilderness. Keith Green, he was a Christian artist back in the 80s. I want to share some words. I want to... I want to read a song, a little chorus, that kind of brings this desolate heart out. Uh, Keith Green died at the age of 28. I was reading last night online about a terrible plane crash that he was involved in. He and his wife and another couple and seven, uh, eight children, no, the pilot, 
and seven children died in this plane crash. Never got, never got 300 feet off the ground, hit, hit a tree line, killed him. He's 28 years old. But think of a desolate heart. Hear the words of that little chorus. My eyes are dry, my faith is old. My heart is hard, my prayers are cold. And I know how it ought to be, alive to you and dead to me. What can be done for an old heart like mine? Soften it up with oil and wine. The oil is you, your spirit of love. Please wash me anew with the wine of your, with the wine of your blood. Old heart, old faith, old prayers need to be made live again. Hebrews chapter 10 warns us in verse 26. Hebrews 10 verse 26. For if we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there's no longer, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Verse 27, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. The psalmist reminds us too in Psalms 95 verse 8. Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness when your fathers tested me. There's a way down to destruction. But then let me close with this real quick. The way back to God. How do we get back? Point number two. The way back to God. If you would look at um, Joel chapter 2 and look at verse 12. We're about to close out. Let's see how to get back. Now therefore, verse 12. Now therefore says the Lord, turn to me. Some translation says return to me. Turn to me with your heart, with, notice, all your heart. What does that mean, with all your heart? With fasting and weeping and mourning. But now, he says in verse 12, now, some translations, ESV says, yet now. Yet now, after all I've done, after the way that I've lived my life, man, he must be so angry with me. No, he's not. He loves you. And he loves you and loves you and he wants you. He wants you to come to him. He's waiting for you. Verse 12, even now, yet even now, when you have run so far, when, you've been, when you have misbehaved, been so terrible, so disgraceful, even now, he says, Return to me. Come to me. Verse 12. Return to me. Return to me. What does that mean? It means this. Return to me means nothing else matters in your life but returning to him. That's what it means. I'm not thinking about my kids. I'm not thinking about my spouse. I'm not thinking about my career. I'm starting today. I'm returning to him. I'm going to be as right with God, as close to God as I know how to be. That's with your whole heart. That's what it means to come to me with your whole heart. 
So you can't get this done. You can't get this done with a 10-minute devotion. Or you can't get it done with a David Jeremiah. And I love David Jeremiah studies. You can't get it done with a David Jeremiah study. But it gives a prescription in how to get it done. Notice, if you will, in verse 12. Therefore, it says, Turn to me with your whole heart, with fasting and weeping and with mourning. There's a prescription. You say, well, how will I know if I'm really returning to the Lord? It's obvious. Be fasting, weeping, and mourning. Fasting, abstaining from food for a measured period of time just to heighten my hunger for God. If I'm doing that, I'm, I'm on my way. Weeping. You see, most of us, first of all, most of us have never fasted. Tozer said this, W.A. Tozer said this, We have been caught in the logic that having found him, we no longer seek him. I mean, we, we want the dessert first before all the, uh, we, we want the dessert before the full meal comes, so to speak. Tozer also said, There will not be a manifestation from God to his people unless preceded by intense longing. It takes fasting and weeping, tears, mourning, this godly sorrow. The point is, it's hard work when you return to God. Brother Sammy, if I should make this move and turn to him for the first time and be saved, or... If I return to him after being so far gone for so long a time, away from him in relationship, what would be the results? Look at verse 13. So rend your hearts, return to the Lord your God, for he's gracious and he's merciful and he's slow to anger. Here are the results. Great kindness and he relents from doing harm. He's merciful, slow to anger, kind. He won't do you no harm. Look, at, flip, look down to verse 20, chapter 2. And I will remove from you, God says, I, I will remove the northern army and will drive away into a barren land, um, into a barren desolate land with, the face, with his face toward the eastern sea and his back toward the western sea and his stench will come up and his foul odor will rise. What does all of that mean? Well, when we return to the Lord, he cuts loose the anchor that has held us down for so long what's the anchor holding you down in your life for re for returning to the lord not returning to the lord is it a, is it a pattern of speech that you have that keeps you from returning to the lord is it some addiction crutch that keeps you from returning to the lord is it a toxic relationship is it a group of friends that you shouldn't even be with to begin with that keeps you from returning to the lord what has held your soul so long that has kept you from returning to the Lord? Look what he says in verse 20. But I will remove far from you the northern army and will drive him away into a barren and desolate land. That word desolate, with his face toward the eastern sea and his back toward the western sea. Return to me, verse 20, with your heart, and I will remove the northern army. Now, this is what he's saying. 
I'll remove the northern army. As an army fixing to come up on Israel and they were going to be punished for their complacency with God along with the locusts. And he said, if you'll return to me, I'll cut loose that northern army. It won't be there. He'll cut loose whatever anchor you have in your life. Verse 21, he says, when that happens in chapter 2, Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done marvelous things. Verse 23, be glad then, your children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. Be glad and rejoice. 21, be glad and rejoice. Verse 23, what's rejoice? What does rejoicing mean? Rejoicing is the verbal form of joy. If I'm rejoicing, that means I have joy. The point is, if joy is in your heart, you're going to exhale rejoicing. You're going to be excited. It's going to be expressed in your face. It's going to be expressed through your emotions. So the question is this, why are people not turning to the Lord? Why aren't we fasting and weeping and mourning to receive all those benefits from the Lord? Why aren't people rushing today to return to the Lord to get those benefits from the Lord? I'll tell you why I believe. What I believe is because we believe the lie that we've gone too far and we can't turn back. You say, Brother Sammy, I've been living this way a long time. There's not enough time left for me. I mean, uh, there's not enough time for me to be a different person now. I mean, I've always been this way. I've always lived this type of life. I've always been this person. I'm going to share with you one of the greatest verses you'll find in the Bible as we close. Joel chapter 2, look at verse 25. So I will restore to you the years, now look at this. I've lived this way all my life. There's no hope for me. There's no help. What good would it do? I'm going to tell you what good it would do. Look at verse 25. So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust, my great army which I sent among you. He said, I, I, want, I wanted you to return to me, and I sent to you this locust army. But if you'll return to me, I will make it as though that that never had occurred. God says, you know the right, you knew the right, but you chose the wrong. But if you return to me, even now, I'll make it like you didn't waste any years in your life. Wow. Here's the point. God can make it like those years never happened in your life. We'll show you a picture of a, uh, a barren. Do we have a picture of a barren? Uh, on the left, yeah, on the left you see a grush crop growing. On the right you see what the locusts did. And that describes a lot of lives. Got some flourishing on the left. They're growing, it's green, and everything's going fine. But some of you are here today and you're thinking it's all too late but it's not too late and God will make your life 
like all of those years in your past, all of those things you went through, all those things you did, all the times you rebelled and rejected him, if you'll trust him today for the first time, he'll make it like those years never happened. He'll forgive you for, and cleanse you for everything you have in your life. And since then, if you had accepted Christ and you've walked away from Christ and the locust, spiritual locust, has just devoured your life, it's not, it's not plush and green anymore, but it's just barren. God says, if you'll come back to me today, I will make your life as though those years never happened. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit teaching us today that it's not too late to come to you. For the first time, or if we've already come to you and our lives hasn't been pleasing to you, you're standing there willing, able and willing to forgive us and to give us the years like those years never had occurred in our life. I want to thank you for that promise that we have in your word today. Speak to the hearts of people that are here, and I pray today that, Father, we'd examine our life to see where we are with you. Help us to understand there is a way down to destruction, but at the same time, there's a way out. How do we come out? And so, Father, I pray today that people would come and give their heart and their life to you. And others who have, have given their life to you in the past, but for whatever reason, kind of wandered away, wandered off, today would be a return. Thank you for the promise we find in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.